0: Hello and welcome to The Founder State, episode 12 of this episode. I'll be speaking with the one and only Munib Nawaz, fashion designer, and a lot more things on his plate from Lahore, Pakistan. Um, Mr. Muneeb, salam alaikum. Welcome to Founder State.
1: What is up, man? Uh, so good to connect with you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, man.
0: Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Thanks again for coming on. And um, so just to get off going, I think everyone on the PK side, if they hear your name, they pretty much know who you are. Um, on this side, uh, <laughs> and I see you know. so much. <laughs> I think so much. Um, but could you just, you know, give a brief introduction of yourself, um, what you do, um, your passions, and then we'll you
1: on from there. Okay, so I now try to become a human being every day. And uh, I try to be a better human being every day. That's basically the gist of what I want to do uh, I design clothes I, I specialize in the menswear brand but uh, I've, I've had experience of over 16 years doing what I'm doing and uh, God's been super super kind I've uh, been lucky enough to have shown my connections in I think seven eight ten different countries uh, I've won a couple of awards in the U.S. I've won in um, Miami International Fashion Week I've shown at London Fashion Week I've shown in Paris uh, so, in terms of the exposure of the brand, it's been really, really well. We've got our own store in Lahore. We've got a store in Dubai and Manchester. Uh, so, yeah, and soon enough, we'll be doing a collaboration with uh, the League of Rebels. So, yeah, oh, look we'll yeah. forward to that.
0: Amen to that. Same here. Same here. So, um, let's just cover again. So, I pretty much know at this point, and most individuals probably have heard your story, of how you got started with, you know, designing some shirts for your friends and then pick up from there. So could we just, um, you know, give some more details on what that was, especially on the mental side and how you fully conceptualized your brand and got it off the ground?
1: So I honestly never, I still don't think I've completely conceptualized the brand. I'm uh, just growing with it as it grows with me. I started off, yes, like you said, making some shirts for myself. And uh, my friends came up to me and asked where I got those shirts from. I was like, you know, I just got them made myself because I couldn't find the kind of stuff I was looking for. And uh, then they said, can you get one made for us? And I started doing that to charged them like half a dollar extra profit at that time. And for me, that seemed like enough at that time. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I did one exhibition i had no money I, I you know just kind of put two and two together did a small exhibition of shirts and um, people started liking what i was making and i started learning from there man it's been an on the job sort of training and it still is and every day there's something new to kind of do which is what i love to do and that's the fun of it uh, we've been exploring different markets we've been exploring new products so yeah uh, the mindset at that time was to do something that would give me um, the margin to be myself and uh, in, in the entirety of things like the way I wanted to run the business, the way I wanted to run the finance, and also the way I wanted to run my life. I, uh, the concept was that I don't want to be a slave of my job. I don't want to be working for my job. I'm creating this job for it to work for me. Now, you want to give it some time for to reach a point where it starts to pay you back. And I was uh, honest enough with myself and my uh, brand that, you know, I'm going to give it the first 10 years or seven, eight years. Uh, I did not take a Sunday off. I, I, I did not take a vacation in the first seven years. I very clearly remember. And, um, you know, there was practically the least of my days were ending at 18 hours a day but i was happy i was uh, very very happy because when i started taking a break when i when i felt like the brand was now walking on its own two feet okay. then i could live a life that i wanted to live and i'm you know happily doing that still
0: wonderful and i mean that brings out a big point which that's basically sacrifice right um you yeah. have this clear idea it will have to work for me, but also knowing you have to put in the work or the sacrifice for X amount of time. Is there any reason as to why? I think it's really cool, but even most people, when you think, may shoot to. And I had someone tell me this, um, hey, four years, I think you should have things stunned. But then I also always felt, I never had a number in my head, basically, but I've also felt four years, eh, that's a very short amount of period of time. So how did you nail or choose 7 to 10 years was there any reason behind that or what was that like for you i
1: uh, i honestly didn't choose the 7 year mark i think it chose me good deal and it, it, yeah it did you know i think we live we should understand that the world is much bigger than the two of us or one of us um the world has its ways of telling you when you are ready for the next step and i got an offer to go for a break where uh, where things are just paid for and something or the other, I was just, you know, all I had to do was not even pack my bags and just get on the plane. So I think when that sort of an opportunity arose, I was very happy to take it. So I'm a yes person. And when I feel like, you know, there's something that's going to happen, that's, that's a yes thing. Or if there's an opportunity, I generally don't say no to it. Um, so when this thing happened, I, the seven, it was a seven-year mark because now when I look back at it, I remember that was seven years. But when I was going forward, that's not the plan. That was never the plan. When the brand was in, was strong enough to sustain itself without me grinding it out for twenty hours a day, uh, you know, we just—I I was ready to take off for a bit, and that's it. That's how it happened. So there's no—you can't. Plan out when your brand is going to become successful enough.
0: Oh yeah. Makes sense.
1: You know, some, some people might be able to do this in two years. Some might take 10, some might take 20. It's okay. It's the commitment. It's the patience. That's the most important part of your growth.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so obviously support system would have to be very high and sufficient. Um, you're not single um i don't know at that point were you already married how did you manage no i wasn't no i wasn't <laughs> how did you find dating time or how did you manage work-life balance and then get into that marriage point to get
1: well, actually uh you know when you're younger and this is because i was like what i launched my brand when i was 16 17 18 years old i don't even remember how old i was uh yeah i was very very young and uh so you have the energy you have the lack of sort of sense of responsibility i had responsibilities i had to take care of some of my life's decisions my you know my family and Yevo. Uh, but you know uh, those were things that i generally don't take as as uh, as a hurdle in my life those are things that kind of added to my life that i needed to do stuff to myself for myself for others around me i think that was a very important part uh, but as far as the balance is concerned again you can never really create balance, balance creates itself in your life and, and they fi- it finds a space in your life if you are ready for it. Now, a lot of us live a life where we are not ready for balance, where we don't even want balance. We want one part of our life to be the only part of our life. And I was lucky enough to have identified that this, my career, is not going to be the only part of my life. And, uh, but when, when it was, again, I'm saying that as the hindsight, now I can look back on my career and say that, you know, balance found me mm-hmm. when I was ready to receive it. Interesting. Nobody taught me to, to create balance. There are no schools. There are no colleges. There are no institutes that teach us balance. There are no, you know, so that whole concept of creating work-life balance or finding time to date. Um, I was blessed with some great people in my life. I don't know why those women, uh, helped me through and supported me. Uh, I, I have a utmost respect for them because, you know, I was a, I was, I looked like a wreck, mm-hmm. um, the concept of, you know, like an entrepreneur or a, you know, young entrepreneur, I had manifested uh, externally on me. I used to look like that. I used to act like that. And it is strange because, you know, um, you're more than that. And I now believe that, you know, every part of your life requires that same level of dedication that you have, that you give to one part of your life. Yeah. And the more you keep doing that to other parts of your life, the more fulfilled you become.
0: Interesting. That's great. Um, definitely makes sense and helps manage um, that on both sides both you know work family but if you put your mind to it being you will achieve it basically yeah yeah at this point how would you it's it's really cool i think for a business or a founder to always have that mindset where you said even till dates 16 17 years in the brand is not fully conceptualized it's an ongoing process you pivot where you need to you tweak you continue to grow you continue to adjust um, how do you manage that and but on a wholesome level, what is the Monique Navar brand like even as it's growing?
1: So you see the first part of the question is how uh, how do I tweak it is, like I said, when you are open to growth, growth comes to you, opportunities come to you of growth uh, I' you know the kind of stuff that I've been able to do uh, I'm only grateful for that because i'm Ten years ago, I would not have been able to conceptualize even what I have been able to uh, achieve now. Um, so, as far as the brand growth is concerned, or the soul of the brand is concerned, I think uh, we what we look at when we start fashion designing as a career, what we look at are corporate cultures, like you know the Louis Vuittons and the this group or the that group or the Armani's or the this and that. But uh, but what we miss out is the the process that they started with. Oh yeah. There were some rebels without a cause or with a cause and they, they went, looked up something that nobody else was making and they started making it. And to date, I still feel like that's what we are trying to achieve. We are trying to do things that others don't do, whether it's product, whether it's communication, whether it's uh, customer service, whether it's experience, whether it is branding. So it just keeps on growing as far as where where the brand is at. I think wherever we are, we are in a happy place and whatever we do as a brand, it comes out of a place of happiness. So it attracts that sort of clientele, the customer who believes that, you know, there, there has to be a sense of contentment from the person that they're buying these things from.
0: Yeah. Great. And that leads us to which you and I, you know, we've touched, shed light on before, where you enlightened me on the approach for the people who represent the brand, the face of the brand on a daily basis in the retail store. So just shedding back on that, my idea was, which I think most people, um, building, finding people to mold into this brand, into this brand identity. Could you share again on your approach and how you've taken um, that step with people who, communicate with clients face-to-face because you're not on the floor.
1: Yes. So I don't spend as much time on the floor as I used to, obviously, uh, because God's been kind works grown enough and we've got multiple stores now. So uh, originally my idea was to try and recreate uh, another version of myself on the sales floor. Now, when I tried doing that, I realized I was failing miserably. Uh, because there is nobody like me. Not that I'm something great, but you know, there's nobody like you as well. well Everybody's yeah. unique. So I let what I learned after that was I kind of broke down the sales experience in a in a very personalized sort of manner, and then I taught the principles of those uh, techniques or strategies to each individual who represents me, and I let them take it forward their own way. So, you know, the salespeople, they don't have to be me to sell me. They have to be themselves and they have to sell themselves first and then the brand. They have to know the product. They have to know the the customer requirements. They have to understand where they stand, the brand that they represent. But in essence, they have to be the best version of themselves. And that's what the brand is all about. We are trying to bring out the best in you.
0: Awesome. And so on the product side, because we lastly talked about that, obviously they know understanding the product, being able to, you know, express themselves, communicate in the way that they work best. Um, customers definitely sense that when someone's being genuine or trying to fake whether it's an attitude or, or whatnot. Um, yeah. so in the same side, fully understanding product. If we go back to product development, what's your approach, and how do you go around that? And with you know, Dubai, Manchester, Pakistan, and future places to come, what's that approach? Which we slightly talked about in our previous conversation. But what's that approach to break into these other markets?
1: So, product is product, man. Product is going to be the king. Product is the is the manifestation of the soul. You know, it's like human beings. Our manifestation of a soul. Uh, so for me, the product is as important. It is the most important device of communication. Um, even beyond the word of mouth, the product, once you see a Vuneep Dabas product fits to you, you know, it becomes a part of you. And that's what we are all about. That's what we want to make. And when we make that product, and there's a little smirk on a customer's face when they see a perfect product. So for me, the product remains the the reason why a customer would come back to you. Uh, you know, when they, it's my job to keep creating products that are essentially awesome, uh, that speak to my customers at a level deeper than superficial. And uh, so, yeah, in order for me to learn about the product, I try to make it make a conscious decision that every week I sit down at least once a week to learn something new about product. In term, whether it's design, whether it's packaging, whether it's, um, you know, the fusing's, whether it's the raw materials, whether it's the trims, whether it's the zip or the buttons, it could be something very small that I've even gone through last year. I will still go through it to upgrade my research on it. So, and because I put my heart and soul in it, hence it connects to the heart and soul of the uh, wearer as well.
0: Awesome. And supply chain now. If let's look at that for a second, Um, we had shed light on, you know, Pakistan has really great supply chain from the manufacturing side to even the raw material production to fabrics, whether denim, whether cottons. And your approach on whether taking advantage of that and also globally sourcing, and can we shoot back on that as well?
1: That's the, that's the one part of my career that I'm not 110% proud of yet. I haven't done a lot of uh, product sourcing from Pakistan. Also, because, you know, it's, it's like the developing nations, they have a mindset that they want to buy imported garments, imported stuff. And, uh, even though, uh, and also because we don't make, uh, like, you know, we don't have wool as one of our custom fabrics in Pakistan. So that's a tricky situation. I have to import all of that. Um, uh, but there are a few fabrics that are quintessentially super cool uh, that are made in Pakistan, like some of our hand-woven fabrics, some of our artisanal fabrics are supremely beautiful. And I'm very um honored that i was uh, I was born here in Pakistan, and I get to use such remarkable fabrics. You'd be amazed that you know some of the things we get to make are divine and they're supreme, and they're so beautiful, it's just it's fabricgasm. Uh, so for me, I think, uh, as far as the denims and the knitwear side is concerned, which is what Pakistan is known for, which it is one of the youngest nations on the planet. It is one of the largest textile producers on the planet. It is uh, one of the largest textile exporters on the planet. So, uh, like, you know, big, big chunk of what the U.S. Apparel industry, uh, comes from the U.S., uh, comes from Pakistan. And, uh, so as far as that is concerned, I haven't yet explored much of it. For my own brand because my brand is a very novelty based brand it's custom bespoke sort of a novelty brand where we don't do mass levels of uh, volumes awesome so, so that's the difference between a producing nation we are a producing nation we are not a branding nation so which is why i feel like i'm going against the tide and kind of creating a brand rather than just creating volumes
0: okay and that makes a lot of sense so which is common what you said, you know tollboard nations, Nigeria, same situation, everyone is just laser focused or has always been laser focused on imported stuff, where is it from USA um, Europe, wherever, and uh, yeah. never not much so much um, home base items yeah. is there a way or how do you? Over time, it's, I think it's just a mental thing. You said it the same way, but how do we at some point try to target or convince or change customers to start to look at? I think the first approach is smart, what you're doing. It's imported, so that keeps people comfortable. Oh, yeah, it's imported, it's global. Um, but then how do you, what's that current situation with seeing a Pakistani designer or Pakistani brand and what's their reception and how would that change or develop over time? Where it's we're shouting, yeah, it's Munib Nawaz, this is a Pakistani brand, and yes, it's global, but being able to shout more about a local brand um, almost as much as the international brands people have always been laser focused on.
1: Okay, so I feel like you know it completely depends on your brand's vision, right? It's not a matter of my brand only, there are a couple of big brands out of Pakistan that have. Uh, that are locally manufactured, locally sourced, locally produced, locally branded, and locally sold. And they are big brands. So if you are a retailer, you obviously want to make sure that most of your products are locally sourced. If you are a bespoke or a luxury brand, then you, you have the novelty of buying in more expensive stuff and selling to an expensive customer. So it's not a matter of whether should I be a retailer who buys a lot of local stuff and sells to the local market, just keeping a smaller margin. Or do I want to be somebody bigger? So if I five, and I think as far as creating that mindset is concerned, when your brand is big enough, like you know, I, if the mindset hasn't changed for the people or the consumers in the last fifty or hundred years, they want to buy imported garments. Let like give them imported garments, but why not I go big uh, global, sell at the League of Rebels stores, and uh, become an imported item for them. So I will be a novelty over there. I will not be a novelty over here, but a made-in-Pakistan label will be a cool thing for the US to make it into a cool thing for the British uh, or the European or the South American or the Australian or African nations. That's my responsibility then as a brand. Then I have to make sure that my brand goes big enough that I can source any material from anywhere and make it count in wherever I want to sell it, yeah so, but there are I'm more than sure like you know there are Nigerian brands who are very big within Nigeria. Uh, there are big brands in Turkey who are now really big uh, like I uh, somebody told me a couple of years back that they spoke to somebody at mavi denim in uh, in Turkey, and they said, you know Pakistan is now where Turkey was, I think thirty years ago. Where they did not want to buy anything Turkish made. Now the entire world is okay or looks forward to getting sourcing done from Turkey.
0: Yeah. So it's so a- I
1: think it's a mindset. It's a it's at the government level. It's at a public level. I think when the brands become good enough, people people will buy a good brand. People will buy a good product. People will buy a good price. They will buy a good package. Uh, so it's our responsibility. To give them that, not trying to sell Pakistan to Pakistanis, man. That's disrespectful. Yeah. You know, you just have to make a great product that they should be proud of.
0: Wonderful. And I think that, you know, really drives home. The responsibility lies on the brand, lies on the creatives to sell to anybody, anywhere. Um, Great point, Weeks. And even with this, with the... Um, ATX Pack program uh, that helped, you know, transition the bring Pakistani brands over to the U.S., access the market over here, U.S. brands to also access the Pakistani market. Then it then falls back on creatives to say, you know, how do you catch this brand? With accessing global markets, collaborations have been a big thing in general for yeah. brands 2020, it's going to carry on 2021. Um, Yes, we've played and shed light on, you know, possible uh, League of Rebels, Maniv Navas collaboration. Um, I think that's a great type of entryway into new markets because it helps back-end structure. The front-end structure is also good. Um, You had shed some light earlier with new markets and how you kind of tweak and how you use local um, artisans or artists to kind of, get that translation of comfort for the brands or for the country for the customers. Can yeah. we can you shed yeah. some more light on that, please?
1: So you see the, my idea of expansion is, uh, that you should use local resources, uh, and they're not just limited to fabrics and yarns and all of that. It is to use local intellectual resources. Well, wherever you go, like, you know, I think, for instance, if your brand was to come to Pakistan and you haven't lived here or you don't want to live here, you will not be living here unless you have a person in enemy territory, uh, you know, giving you information and uh, feedback and using all, uh, you know, who who is committed to you. So, yeah, so the idea is to use local intellectual resource, local fabrics, local feedback. It's It's without information on what's happening in the other part of the world, you will not be successful no matter how successful your brand is in the U S. Right. So yes. like you've opened Kansas. So you are sitting in Kansas. You yes. ensure that smooth operations work, right? Uh, you're not in Austin right now. You've got to get there. You've got to use a local resource who yes. understands the culture, who, who maybe even has skin in the game. Yeah. And they're not just employed, they're maybe more director level people who you can trust to ensure that the operations are clean, to ensure that they understand the customer needs, they, their feedback is important to you, and because they have skill in the game, it will make sense when they give you feedback.
0: Oh yeah, um, great point. I love the fact that you used in your response the word "enemy," um, because I was going to put this back. And I mean, yes, uh, hash words. So in the words of Sun Tzu, um, "Out of war, foraging on the enemy." Um, yeah. that's what I see translated as where if you're going into enemy territory, and it sounds harsh, but obviously it's just into foreign territory. Um, yeah, if you bring If you take one cart of the enemy's load, it's about equal to 10 of yours if you're bringing it all the way from home. So all that headache, you can't bring all the resources along. You have to get there and forage on what's there, um, which is exactly uh, what you've said. So I did love that. And the second thing about you mentioning spies, there are five types of spies by Sun Tzu which are extremely important. And you basically describe the local spy. Um, which is cool because I am a military brat and I kind of relate business to in a military sense Um, and the art of war has been big I've listened to it over and over again and it's just crazy how it just makes sense Um, but oh yeah cool so You know, entering enemy, um, I'm still staying on the um, (laughs) military side, but entering foreign grounds, you know, using the resources, the local resources, artisans, I really do think that's just a smart way to do business and operate. And it's definitely less headache on our side, which also brings to leveraging partnerships. So whether it's by collaboration or whatnot, that's pretty much, I think, plays the same. Or what else would you say on partnerships?
1: See, I think... You, we are social animals, we've got to understand that, you know, the, that instinct, the, the only trouble in the last 50 years in terms of uh, commerce that has happened is that there was a time where building empires, uh, people used to work towards building, uh, you know, the pyramids, the empires, the fortresses, even the organizations, uh, because they themselves did not have the platform that somebody else started in the last few years, I think in the last few decades, what has happened is there's become, according to people, they think that it is now a level playing field because everybody has access to the same social media or Instagram. And they think everybody can become the rock or everybody can become Lady Gaga because they're on social media and because Lady Gaga is on social media as well. But I feel the time right now for partnerships and collaborations is more important because otherwise what is happening is people are opening up very small joints um, and they are being they are not being able to grow further because they don't have the intellectual capital or the infrastructural capital that is required to grow now if you look at the rock if you look at uh, lady gaga if you look at any of the more successful people wherever on the planet they have gone through the grind, found somebody who built them the infrastructure, and then took them forward. And they still hold true to their uh, founders, you know So like for instance, if uh, Jimmy Iveen, who is one of the producers for Lady Gaga, uh, did not find the first multi-billion dollar uh, record label with iTunes, uh, Lady Gaga would still be playing some small gig in Kansas or wherever. Uh, So you know, and The Rock without WWF uh, would still probably be with seven dollars somewhere playing college football, or you know, maybe somebody else. Yeah. So the infrastructure and the intellect and the creative that building empire state is not a one man's job. Sadly, unless we start collaborating again you will slow down and probably start to decline your growth. Yeah. Um, And uh, probably fail sometime because without, if I say that I don't want to collaborate with you and you say, you don't want to collaborate with me because you are super cool and there is an arrogance or there is an ego or there's whatever, because you have, the same amount of followers as I have, I don't know, uh, or maybe you have more. You do not uh, participate or in. So for me, collaborations are exercise of growth. Great. Okay. So you grow with somebody, you exercise that growth and you both learn, and then you can decide to keep doing it or not to do it later on. But that without contracting a muscle, you will never grow the muscle. Yeah. So that's, that's the, it's an exercise that is very, very important and building up that team, um, not, and collaborations don't really just mean like, you know, Muneeb Nawaz ex league of rebels. It means the collaboration of the internal staff that you have, how much are they invested in your brand? Oh, yeah. How much are they looking at the same vision and where does their personal vision align with the corporate goals or your goals? That's yeah. collaboration for me as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And brings us to your three, was it three win approach or, or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Win, win, win. Yeah. Win, win approach.
0: Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I love that philosophy on your human approach. Could you shed some light again and explain it? Cause, I been um, catch the full one or it's not in my head, but you have a human approach. Um, I think you put it for the brand, for the employees. Um, what was that again?
1: I think, um, you know, and anything that is not, you know, we've been brought up with a win-win approach. And, and what that does is uh, I think somebody loses. Hmm. And if you kind of just get to the win-win-win where, think of everybody like the 360 degrees of any part of this whole exercise is not victorious. You know, anybody who is directly involved or indirectly involved is not victorious. That means your partnership was selfish. Interesting. So if I partner with you and you partner with me and we both win, but our customer loses, that is a that's a very short term win. Yeah. So if I win, you win, and your customer wins, then it's, it's fun. So if your supplier wins, if your producer wins, and your, uh, if your supplier wins, if your buyer wins, and your customer wins, that's when for me the whole cycle becomes complete. Awesome. That's just my basic understanding. I think it's very important for us to keep the customers in the loop. I think it's very important for us to kind of keep. Um, oh, sorry. No yeah. So I think it's very important for us to keep the whole sort of exercise in the loop with, with everybody because you see, eventually, no matter how much money uh, the most successful people have made, they've come down to the concept of happiness, the concept of fulfillment, the concept of contentment. Now, if if you think money was the end of uh, all of the game that we are in, Steve Jobs was over a hundred billion dollars before he died. And he was talking about how to spend time, how he wished he could have spent more time with his family, with his loved ones, with his friends and done things differently. Some of them, not all of them. Uh, And similarly, you know, there's a Kate Spade story. Everybody knows, um, you know, I I saw Steve Madden's uh, thing on Netflix. And at, you know, at 50 or something, he had his kids, I think. And and then he retired because he wanted to spend time with the kids. So I think define every part of your life, element of your life. Make sure that whatever you do feeds everything.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So brand development or branding things. Um, speaking of collaborations also and taking that a step further. So you in fashion design, you definitely have stuff on the radio um, with brand collaborations and um, categories. I know you've done, you're doing something in food, which you could share on. Um, how do you? I know there's this okay, there's this coolness, right? That I feel there's the Moniba's coolness that you sort of play on. But could you explain the process and your mindset for? categories i know yes you don't say no to opportunities but do you have other categories or industries and just like shedding more light on the food side
1: so so the thing is for me the brand like i said is a very soul brand and soul is what makes uh, is what connects us to the whole world um and wherever the soul will find some connection it will automatically start to create something now it's up, up to us to kind of give it a physical manifestation, but you know, you are as a person, whatever your soul is, whoever you are as a human being, you're throwing that out there. Uh, and whatever the, you know, like you guys tied off with your shirts. Now I saw yesterday, you guys had grooming things, you had a salon or something like that. So that thing is expanding into its own different, uh, areas and horizons, right? Yes. Similarly with my brand, I with because right now i am the brand ambassador but you know before that i had some of the leading celebrities in pakistan who were my brand ambassadors one was a sports person one was an international boxer one was a musician one was a filmmaker one so so all of that kind of resonates with the brand so fashion fitness music food so all of that lifestyle it is Your brand cannot be about a product. It has to represent a lifestyle, right? So I love making burgers. I've been trying to make good burgers for a while. And luckily, I I got my recipe right. Then uh, I was called in to meet with a few people. And they said, you know, we would like to maybe collaborate with you building a Mudeep Namaz burger. I was like, let's do it. I love the idea. Uh, Somebody reached out recently to launch a fitness line. Because I've been going to the gym very regularly. I've done CrossFit competitions in Pakistan. I've done this and that. Uh, so, so the fitness kind of got in, in, um, you know, involved in a couple of projects over there. I love music. So I, a lot of musicians wear my clothes. I tried to do like a poetry recitation as well. And uh, so, you know, because of my friends, they produced my thing. And it turned out really nice. So the idea was never to limit yourself. And the mindset again behind that being, uh, you've got to remain true to yourself, make sure that your product, your house is in order, and then growth is the only way to live.
0: Wonderful. Uh, makes sense. And lifestyle, because everything now has been a wholesome lifestyle brand, but I think it's a perfect point where you pull back to say, make sure your house is in order. Because your core yeah. product, if it's great, then you could now expand in a natural form. Yeah, yeah.
1: Expansion can only happen when your house is in order. Like, you know, when we had our set sorted, we did the Hush Puppies collaboration. Uh, even though I'd never done a shoes line before that. But, you know, because the brand was ready enough and ripe enough, they reached out and we got the whole thing done.
0: Wonderful. And um, that's been great. Love um, learning from you. Love chatting with you. Um, can't wait, to, you know, we're physically in pK game um, and definitely looking forward to, as we also try to, you know, expand the League of Rebels brand. Um, that's something we're definitely excited about where it's a great venture to, you know, connect with the right individuals. ATX Pack program has brought us together, being able to look into yeah. Pakistan and also um, the Muneeb Nawaz brand getting into the U.S. and so on and so forth. And hopefully, um, Fingers crossed, soon enough I'll be leaving close by also, so um, you'll be seeing a whole lot of me.
1: <laughs> Looking forward, man, you're always welcome, and thank you so much, and good luck, man. And uh, just in case people don't know, this brand, I love it, man, I love the brand. And someday, if, if we don't start working together, I'm going to make my own spin-off of the League of Rebels. I'm if just telling it, you in advance. We'll work
0: together, so we keep that, make sure it's within the house then.
1: Okay, okay. done.
0: Um. Once again, this is Munib Nawaz. He said, don't find him last time, but you could find him. <laughs> <laughs> You could find him. Just search Muneb Nawaz. Um, any final thoughts? Oh, actually, I've got one last question for you, which I feel is not much of a problem with you based on your you know, wholesome approach to life and business and family. Um, I always ask, I feel business and entrepreneurship is highly a mental game. And I like to ask how individuals maintain their sanity. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like yours is very under control. But could you shed some light on how you maintain your sanity or what approach you take to even make make sure, you know, your head is in a good space more constantly?
1: So it's simple for me, you know, and uh, I make it... uh, uh, I don't make it look easy. I try to make it as difficult as possible, <laughs> even though it's very easy. Uh-huh. But, you know, I think you just have to prioritize what's important to you. And I think we, we overcommit to ourselves and we under to ourselves. Hence, we are always living in a guilt zone. I think uh, we, we live in the fear of failure more than the love of success. Um, I choose always, every decision is out of love wherever um, because love creates happiness and that's where you want to be. And if you want to be, if, if your destination is happiness, the journey has to be the happy route, right? You yeah. can't go to the opposite of happy to get too happy. If you are on a journey of fear, you are not on the journey of success. You are not on the journey of love. You are not on the journey of happy. So just make sure every day you wake up, be grateful for what you are, where you are, how you are, why you exist, and just find a reason to do something great that day. One of my friends, she was over earlier and she was talking about how Monday ends up being extremely, you know, like they call the Monday blues. And I was like, you know, Monday is my dash. There you go. uh, Yeah. So because I feel like, you know, when I wake up, I do things out of love. And the most important thing that anybody who, you know, I don't reach out to a lot of people, but if if anybody hears this and can understand this, if your destination is happiness, it can't be through the tortures of hell. Yeah. You have to find your happy place in the smallest of activities every day. And that eventually leads to a bigger happiness at the end of the day. We like being stressed. We like when we look stressed. Yeah, um, and I feel like that's what's wrong with the way entrepreneurship is even looked at now. Like you know, when you just said, "Okay, entrepreneurship is a mental game and it's a stressful game," and people think of it as a as a situation where it's not understood to be a happy place. It is super happy. Because if your own job isn't going to make you happy, the one you chose for yourself, <laughs> yeah. then you are a dash idiot, man.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. I love the approach. I love the mindset. Once again, thank you very much. Um, and we'll talk yeah. to you soon. It's been episode 12 with Munit Nawaz on Founder State Podcast.